0: Good to be with you here today. My name is James Green. It is a great joy really a blessing for me that we get to come together every week and celebrate and worship. And there's lots of things. There's lots of things going on, swirling kind of around us. Ryan mentioned the Operation Christmas Child goal we launched last week trying to gather a thousand boxes. I hope some of you had the chance yesterday to go down to that G5 event down at Indian Park where we had a neat outreach opportunity with the Salvation Army, and it was an incredible, incredible time we had a marriage conference last week we had a parenting conference we've got to be witness to a couple of baptisms over the last couple weeks you've been here for several months you know we're nearing completion of this phase 1 building project had a slight water problem this week so sorry about the bathroom thing but we're we're working on it by next week we should be able to have a tour of the kitchen lots of stuff going on and so with all those things sometimes you have to stop and go okay how do you focus how do you prioritize how are we going to take our study and our efforts and our resources, and how are we going to put those into the, into the things that we can practice so we can live our lives? And that's where I'm really humbled and, again, consider myself blessed because every week we get together and do this. <laughs> we open up God's Word and say, okay, God, what do you say we're supposed to do? And then we'll just try to live lives that show that we want to apply that. That's always going to be essential. That's always going to be the thing that drives us here at Cape Bible Chapel. And so in our study you've been here for a few months now, it seems like we've been in this discipleship series called Make. We're talking about making disciples who would go and make disciples, and that's a great area to camp out in, so incredibly scripturally focused. So we're very excited about it, and in this week, it kind of looks like we're maybe taking a break because we're going to partner with this Orphan Sunday opportunity. It's a chance for us to become more aware of the biblical mandate about orphan care. But what we really want to do is dig into the Word and understand more deeply the theology Behind an Orphan Sunday opportunity. And the notion of caring for orphans actually fits really well into a study about discipleship. Because the most natural place for us to disciple, place that I hope I'm not missing out on, I really pray none of us are missing out on, is in our homes. It's a chance for parents to disciple their children. And as Danette shared in the video, orphans don't have homes. So they're missing out on that blessing of being discipled by parents. So in essence, we are going to talk about discipleship today. We'll talk about the need for discipleship. We'll talk about the theology of adoption. And so what we're going to focus on is the fact that as Christ followers, we've been adopted into God's family. hope that somewhere in a seat near you, it's one of these sheets, tried to have them all over the church. It's 10 ways every Christian can care for the orphan and waiting child. And so we're going to look through every one of those briefly. So I hope you get your hands on a copy of that. I shared the passage that I'm going to begin with today. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or open it on your app if you would. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. I shared that with my family this week, and I just read it to them, and I didn't tell them. I didn't tell them why I was reading it. It was just in our morning devotional, and I read it, and I said, hey, I'm going to teach this week. What do you think I'm going to teach about? It was my little girl, Macy. She got it first. She said, you're going to talk about adoption. And so we discussed as a family the notion of how we were adopted into God's family and the blessings that carries, and the responsibilities that go with it. And after we talked about it for a little while, my little eight-year-old boy, Trace, asked a really practical question. It was neat how God burdened his heart with it. He said, well, what do you do for kids who don't have parents? We're going to look at both ends of that today. We're going to look at the theology of adoption, and we're going to look at the practicality that we're supposed to engage in as Christ followers because we do have clear instruction for how we're supposed to proceed in this orphan care area. James chapter 1 and verse 27 puts it this way. It says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. It's to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We'll only be able to focus on the orphan part of that today, but I want you to understand it's in God's Word. Every part of that is important. So I pray that we're not neglecting widows in their distress. And I pray we're engaging in the world but not becoming stained by it. And that's a topic that comes up a lot. How do we live as Christ followers in this world where God has placed us in a way that we can be a bright light in a dark place? How do we do that without becoming so immersed in the world that you can't tell any difference between those people who proclaim Christ and those who don't? But this verse, James 1.27, tells us what to do about caring for orphans. And I want to be really clear on this from the very start. Does this verse say everybody in the church today needs to go out and adopt? No, I can't stretch it for there. And for sure, my purpose is not just to stand up here and try to give some emotional appeal and play some sad music in the background and and show pictures of orphans and try and play on your feelings. It's not my job to convict anybody about adoption today. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. That's one of his roles. But I do know, personally, I've been presented with opportunities to respond before, and I've had excuses. We had a lot of college students come to the chapel and we're so blessed. And I think a college student may hear a message about this and and see, hey, here's 10 things that I can do, and see adoption as one of the options, and just rule it out. Say, oh, I'm too young for that. I'd encourage you, if you're a young person here today, Google Katie Davis. Or maybe you'd want to read her book, Kisses from Katie. Katie, when she was 21 years old, moved to Uganda and she adopted 13 Ugandan girls because she was convicted by the Holy Spirit. That's what she felt compelled to do, and she was obedient. Or maybe we hear a message like today, and we say, oh, I'm too old. We dismiss adoption. Lots of the reading, lots of the research I did to prepare for this teaching opportunity came from John Piper, who in 1995, at the age of 50, adopted a daughter. Was that too old? But again, this is not a message solely about adoption. It's about opening our Bibles and interpreting that passage in James 1.27, and then seeing how we're supposed to respond. Now, it's a weak analogy, but the only thing that I've ever adopted is a pet. And that being said, maybe you've seen this commercial. I don't like it. There's a Sarah McLaughlin commercial that comes on late at night. It's got one of her real sad, slow songs behind her, and, and all these neglected puppies and kitties and these graphic striking images. And she comes on at the end. And she says, you can save them. I have a marketing degree. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) I understand the rationale behind an appeal like that. It can be effective. But here's the deal. I don't think we need an approach like that for something like Orphan Sunday. I don't think that's the correct approach. What I think we need to do is open the Bible and see what God says about the subject. Now, that being said, I have a cat. I love animals. I love dogs. And I like some cats. I like my cat. And we we have this cat, and the reason we have it is because one morning I was was meeting with a guy that I was discipling, and we were at Panera Bread, and we're leaving, and I walk out to my car, and he goes, hey, look, there's a little kitten there under your car. And I look down there, and and there was a tiny, tiny little white fluffy ball of kitten with bright blue eyes. It was really, really cute. And I thought, oh, goodness, you know, and I felt bad because I'm a compassionate guy. I mean, like, I know what the fate of that kitten would have been. If I'd left it out there at the intersection of William and Mount Auburn, it would have been a flat cat, you know. So, so I, <laughs> I picked it up and I put it in my car, and I was going to take it to the Humane Society. It was something I could do. Well, it was all over my car, and I thought, gosh, I'm going to have a wreck trying to do this nice thing. And so I stopped off at my house to get a pet carrier. I had one of those. And I don't know. I mean, it was early in the morning, and God is funny, and my daughter Macy was out in the front yard. I don't know why. And, and I pulled up, and she went, oh, Daddy. Oh, look at that beautiful cat. That cat has blue eyes like everybody in our family except you, Daddy. It's like (laughs) she was going to trade me for the cat at that point in time. She she said, that cat belongs in our family. I'm going to name it Snow White. So today we have a cat named Snow White. We we adopted this cat in our family because I wanted to make sure it didn't get run over on the street. But here's the deal I didn't have to adopt it. I could have taken it to the humane side. It was a cute cat. It would have got adopted. Here's what I didn't feel I could do, was just ignore it. That's the heart behind taking intentional time today for Orphan Sunday. We feel like we can't just ignore the orphan situation that's going on in the world. And so as we look in God's Word today, we're going to unpack this idea of how we can respond to caring for orphans. And I'm not, I promise you, going to aim to appeal to your emotions not going to try and stagger you with the weight of statistics, although I will certainly reference some. I'm not going to say, hey, let's just look at this rationally. You know, if one out of every six people in the U.S. would adopt, there'd be no orphan problem. Instead, what I want to do is address this the way I hope we address every situation that arises in our life. I pray we open our Bible and go, God, what do you got? What do you think we're supposed to do? Tell us. And so when we look at it this way, we're going to see the Apostle Paul use the term adoption Five different times in his letters. It's a huge concept. And I just want us to gain more awareness, more clarity of it. Paul references adoption when he's talking about how Christ followers become part of God's family. He talks about it three times in the book of Romans, once in the introduction of Ephesians, and then in this passage in Galatians. And that's what I'm going to share. He writes, When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Book of Galatians is a great read. And what it is, really, it's a great picture of what the gospel is not. Paul writes the book of Romans, and that's probably the best place to look to see what the gospel is. The gospel is a story of how perfect God is and how good Jesus is, not about how good we are. It's a story of what Jesus has done what he is doing, not what we should do. But Paul writes to the church in Galatia because they didn't understand it. They didn't grasp the gospel. They had this wrong picture of God. And anywhere, anytime that happens, doesn't matter if it's back in the day or today, we got the wrong picture of God we're going to end up in a bad place. And so the people in Galatia had this notion of God like he was their boss. He, he was their employer, and they had an employer-employee relationship. And it was real works-based. If we do good things, the boss will like us. God's this big boss. He's distant. He's far away. He's looking out over us. And they had this job description. It was basically the laws of Moses. Hey, welcome. Here's your, here's your new desk. Here's your new job. Here's this list of 600 laws you have to keep. Restrooms on the second floor, good luck, I'll be watching you. I'll be watching you, and if you don't do well, well, then I'm not going to like you, and I'm going to be mean to you. Is that the picture we get of God sometimes? If we do, it's such a bad picture. I mean, yes, clearly there are blessings for obedience. There are consequences for disobedience. I don't want to try and get around that in Scripture. That would be foolish. The idea is the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us is not like a boss... And his employee. It's like a father and a child. The difference that makes is huge. And that's Paul's message in the book of Galatians. God isn't our boss. He's our father. See, God isn't absent and distant. His desire is to be involved like a good father is with his children. A good father doesn't seek performance from his kids. Hey, if you get straight A's, you're the best athlete on the team. You know, if you clean up your room, then I'll love you. No. No. It's not like that at all. A good father's love is not conditional. Now, yes, sure, will a father be proud? Will he be thankful? Will he, will he be appreciative if a kid gets good grades and cleans up the room? Yeah. But a good father won't withhold love if those things aren't met. So here's the deal. God, our Father, he's a perfect father. He's not seeking performance from us as children. He's seeking relationship. He's seeking intimacy, and he knows, he understands that when we, as his children, feel that love, when we experience the closeness of that relationship, well, then good things are going to happen in our lives. But it's not because of stuff we do, it's because we're obedient to him. <laughs> we'll bless our father with our actions and attitudes. It's not because we're going to get real good at keeping 600 laws. It's not because we have to earn our, God's love in any way. It's just because he's a good dad. <laughs> God loves us. He's our perfect father. Not because we make ourselves into appropriate children. He loves us so much that he adopted us into his family. Not because we're worthy, but because he is. The Galatians struggled with this. And let's be honest, sometimes we still struggle with this today. So we're going to talk about orphan care. And to really understand that, not going to appeal to your emotions. Not going to try and coerce you into anything. I'm going to say this. If you're a Christ follower here today, then you were, and I am, adopted into God's family. That's the clearest understanding we can have of adoption, biblically. It's not the notion of humans adopting humans. It's not big people adopting little people. It's God adopting us. It's God adopting humans. Most basic definition we can have of someone who is an orphan, who is someone who has been separated from their parents by death or abandonment. And we understand there's going to be cases where because of the behavior of a parent or danger to the child, they'll be separated. So if that's the definition, then in a spiritual sense, before we begin a relationship with God, it's by grace through faith in Jesus, we were orphans. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. He writes this to the church at Ephesus. He says, remember that you were at that time. What time? Before they knew Jesus. You were at that time separate from Christ. Excluded from the Commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So without God, we're orphans. We're separated from God. He's not our Father. And here's the incredible reality of the gospel in our lives. We become God's children. We do that in two ways. First, God explains this notion of believers becoming new flesh, having a new birth after we accept the gift of salvation, and he does it with a birth illustration. You see this real clearly in John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become, what? Children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. That's a clear birth illustration, being born. That's the same kind of language that Jesus tripped Nicodemus up with in John chapter 3. But that's not the only picture of being part of God's family. We also get this picture of being adopted. A passage in Galatians explains it. But Paul describes it again in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Sounds pretty similar in a lot of ways. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, same language, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And here's the incredible promise. If we're children, then we're heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So that's the promise today. Those of us who have professed faith in Jesus Christ have been adopted into God's family. Understanding the fact that we were spiritual orphans and God loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place, to conquer sin and death, to rise again, to establish a kingdom that'll have no end. Understanding that is the solution to the spiritual orphan crisis for everybody who puts their trust in him. Now, that's a big concept, but if we can grasp that, then we can begin to look at how we're supposed to respond as Christ followers to this orphan problem around us when we're confronted with sobering statistics. It's not an emotional appeal. Then it becomes a reality. Most recent information I could find on the World Orphan website this week said there are roughly 153 million orphans in the world. Try and put that in a way we can can somehow fathom it in a a world full of 7 billion people, if we could somehow gather all the orphans in the world and put them in one country, that country would be the eighth largest in the world. I saw a statistic that said every 18 seconds another child becomes an orphan in the world. Let me help you frame that. From the time I started talking until I finish up here today, that means there will be roughly another 130 more orphans than when I began. And so we hear statistics like that, and maybe you're like me. Sometimes you just want to run from them. You want to ignore them and pretend there's not an orphan crisis in the world. I've done that before. And we come face to face with a verse like James 1.27. It says we're supposed to visit orphans in distress. So today, on this Orphan Sunday, I want us to explore how we can get practically involved in orphan care ministry in a way that will bring glory to God, in a way that will show we have an understanding of our own adoption into God's family. I found this great quote from J.I. Packer. It's in his book, Knowing God, where he calls the doctrine of adoption, understanding that we were adopted into God's family, he calls it the greatest blessing of the gospel. Here's the quote. He says, Adoption is the highest blessing of the gospel, higher even than justification, because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. It says justification is a forensic idea. It's conceived in terms of the law. You view God as a judge. Adoption is a family idea. It's conceived in terms of love. You view God as a father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and his fellowship and establishes us as his children and his heirs. Closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of the relationship. It says, to be right with God the judge is a great thing. Amen, it is. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. And so while it's important for us to understand that notion of being born again to the family of God, it's also important for us to grasp this idea of being adopted into the family. And I think Paul uses this term several times so we can grasp this was God's idea from the very beginning of time. Here's how he explained it to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. It says, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to himself. Why, because we were so good? No, according to the kind intention of of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. So Paul uses that term adoption. He's not talking about it exactly the same way, way we do as humans adopting humans, but there are similarities. I think Paul is painting a picture in this text that God is our father. He initiated our adoption before the foundation of the world. Now, if we don't have time to unpack widows in distress and staining ourselves with the world, we're certainly not going to tackle predestination today. I just want to make this one point about it because I think it's really important. Regardless of your views on predestination, and let's be honest, it's biblical. It's incredibly biblical. No way to get around it. I'm just not smart enough to understand how it works in concert with free will. But that's, that's not important. Regardless of our thoughts on predestination, every biblically sound Christian view of salvation and predestination agrees on this one thing. God is the one Who does the saving. (laughs) He's the one who takes the initiative. And Paul says he did it here before the creation of the world, before we even had a chance to sin. Well, that for sure means that our adoption into God's family is unconditional. God knew we were going to sin, yet he chose us for adoption anyway. I've heard from several families, I'm blessed to know many folks who've adopted, they sometimes say it's a really tough road. I think most folks who are planning on adoption know that. They know there'll be struggles. They know there'll be trials. And yet if they feel led by God, they do it anyway. So God adopting us as humans and humans adopting other humans, they're different things, but do you see there are similarities? Let me point out a few more. Adoption was costly for God, and certainly it's costly for people. Our passage in Galatians uses that word redeem. It's a word we understand, right? To redeem something means you set it free or you obtain it, but you do it by giving something up or paying a price. What price did God pay for our redemption? Our adoption as sons and daughters. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 tells us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. A process of redemption to adoption cost God the price of his son's life. Financially, emotionally, they're huge costs for people as they pursue adoption. We're blessed to have a group of folks here at the chapel who want to help people with this. They work with a ministry called the ABBA Fund. Information about that is on the back of your 10 ways sheet. Adoption's costly for people. It was certainly costly for God. There's another similarity. Adoption makes us, as Christ followers, heirs of our Heavenly Father. And then we understand when we legally adopt children, it makes them become our heirs. That was clear in the passage we looked at earlier in Galatians 4. After God adopted us, it says you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then what? Then an heir through God. Paul says the same thing in Romans 8, 16 17. We're children of God. If we're children, what? We're heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It's <laughs> It says we, along with Jesus, are fellow heirs to everything that God has. We need to pause for just a minute and grasp how incredible that is. My good friend Jeremy Killeen, many of you guys know, he's one of the busiest guys I know here at the church. He's our children's and family pastor, but he also is heavily involved in marriage ministry, kind of leads up our missions ministry. Just a great, great guy. A couple years ago, he and his wife Cher adopted a beautiful little girl from Ethiopia. Her name is Mertanesh. Hope you've had a chance to meet her. Well, they already had a, a beautiful daughter, biologically born named Gracie. Just like Christ's followers become heirs to all that God has, everything when we accept that gift of salvation. Well, Gracie and Mertanesh are Jeremy and Cher's heirs of everything they have just by virtue of being their daughters. Gracie doesn't get more, you know, or less than Mertanesh. There's no special adoptive provision. They inherit everything together. That's the way God did it for all believers. It's the way we should do it as humans. Adoption's costly. Adoption makes us heirs of God. Here's another similarity. Adoption was, for God, very seriously planned. And it is for people as well. We understand that. We looked at the beginning of that Ephesians passage. It indicated that God chose us for adoption before the creation of the world. That's hard for me to understand sometimes. Hard for me to wrap my mind around what, you know, the idea wasn't plan A was God was going to create a bunch of people who ran around and never sinned, never needed a savior. We have to understand that plan A for God was creation and then fall and then redemption and then adoption. God didn't come up with a new plan. That was the plan from the beginning of time. Let me ask you, do you know folks who've adopted? Well, if you do, then you're keenly aware of the amount of prayer planning and time and effort and paperwork that goes along with that process God seriously planned our adoption as children human parents do the same here's another real telling similarity between God adopting us and the opportunities we have for adoption God adopted us from a very difficult situation and many people today are doing the same Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 it says this among them, we all too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's a tough verse. But all that means is God didn't find us on the doorstep in a wicker basket, wrapped in a cute little blanket, all coo in and wide-eyed with wonder. He found us in the dumpster. <laughs> He found us indulging in the desires of our flesh and of our mind. We were ugly. We were unattractive. And yet, he still adopted us. Think about God's chosen people, the Israelites. You read about them in the Old Testament. Their status as slaves in Egypt. Their disobedience, their rebellion, their grumbling, their whining, their complaining, they're turning their back on God. God adopted them. I mentioned earlier just in passing when I was taking my kitty to the Humane Society, I, I was sure she'd be adopted. Why was I so sure? Because she was cute. Because <laughs> she was a kitten. What happens to the kitties who aren't so cute that go to the Humane Society? What happens to the older cats? What happens to the orphans who are physically challenged, mentally challenged? What happens to the orphans who are too old they less worthy of being adopted. God adopted us when we were children of wrath. For sure there're similarities we see in God's adoption of us as Christ followers and the adoption of people by other people. And so the big takeaway for us today, the question before us is the one trace asked me earlier in the week, then what do we do? How do we care for kids without parents? As adoptive sons and daughters, how do we show obedience? How do we honor God? And obeying that mandate we see in James 1.27 that tells us to visit orphans in their distress. What we've seen from God's word, if we're Christ followers, then we were orphans. We were spiritual orphans. We've been adopted into God's family. And so if we can engage, if we do these things, then we're going to be responding in the same way God did for us. And so what I'd love for you to do is take out this sheet, take out your 10 ways to care for the orphan and waiting child sheet, and we're going to walk through them real quick. I'm going to reiterate, the text doesn't say everyone has to adopt. (laughs) But it does indicate, knowing what we know now about being adopted into God's family, there are plenty of things we can do. So what are we going to do? Look at number one on the list. Pray for orphans and children who are waiting to be adopted. I'm so thankful that is number one on the list. I get opportunities. People come to me for counseling, and and they've got situations, and, and they go through all the things they've been working on and doing, trying to solve these problems. And they don't see God moving, they don't see a response, and they go, "Well, all I can do now is pray." And I don't see hearts, and I'm glad I don't. But in the back of my mind, the question always is, "Are you just starting now? <laughs> Why didn't we pray from the very start? That's the one thing we can do." There's a great suggestion on here: tape up a child's picture, kid who's waiting to be adopted. Pray for that kid daily, and watch God work. We can pray. Number two says, speak up for them. Well, in a way, that's what we're doing here today. Speaking up for people raises awareness. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 says this, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. We can be spreading the word. We can be raising awareness of orphan issues. Number three says, provide for their needs. If you want to financially support an orphanage, that is a great way to engage. There's information on the back of your sheet. There are tables out in the lobby. You can find out about that today. Number four says support those who support them. That's practical. And I don't know if that means you're going to engage and go visit an orphanage and take care of children and allow the people who are there who normally do that a rest. That would be fantastic. Or maybe that's something you do locally. You know a family who's adopted, and you say, hey, we'll come over and play with your kids tonight. You go have a date. We'll mow your grass. We'll do something like that. There's lots of ways to support those who are supporting orphans number five says we could protect orphans from harm there's great opportunities with that locally with foster families there's a there's a wonderful organization hope children's home in jackson that our youth are partnering with and pastor andy and the Nehemiah guys or maybe this is something bigger maybe god has really burdened you and you have the ability to help build orphanages around the world that would protect children from living in the streets number six says you visit orphans and waiting children where they are get on a plane (laughs) Take a trip. We have mission opportunities available. Visit an orphanage. As Danette said, you, you, you'll be different. God will meet you there. Or maybe it's just you take a meal locally to a foster family. Number seven says you give sacrificially to them. Now, the ABBA fund, again, can tell you more about this, but, but I want to ask you this question, at least pose this challenge. Maybe you've considered adoption, and you really don't feel that you're supposed to. You have legitimate reasons that you're, you're not going to, but you have a heart for orphans, And what if you have the financial ability? You're aware now of this problem. Do you know a family who would be a great fit for an adoptive child, and they can't afford it? Maybe you could support them. In a a big-picture way, that's what we do in the church. You guys are not all running out to quit your jobs this week and become vocational ministers. You're not becoming pastors, yet you support the church because it supports the pastor. Maybe we could support families that we know we're going to adopt. Number eight says you encourage them to press on. Ten things on the list there legitimately maybe things you don't feel able to do or you might be inadequate to do. Number one and number eight are not those things. We can all pray for people. We can all encourage people. Number nine says adopt them into your family. Christ followers have been spiritually adopted into God's family, and we have become heirs. Is God calling any of us today to become adoptive parents? Again, tables in the lobby, information on the back of that sheet. Pray about it and see what God is is doing in your life. Number 10 says mobilize the church for them. And that's what we want to do here today by taking part in Orphan Sunday. I asked that question earlier with so many things swirling around us. Where are the areas where we can dig in? Well, it's areas like this where God clearly instructs us like he does with caring for orphans in their distress. So there's 10 ways on that sheet. And here's the reality. Orphan care is for everyone who understands that as a Christ follower, they've been adopted into God's family. Adoption is not the only option. And that being said, I don't want you to to breeze past that and just fall back on the other nine. But adoption's not the only option. If that's not the one for you, there's nine other things to look at on that list. I saw some research this week. It cited over 30% of Christian families have seriously considered adoption but only 2% have actually done it. I don't know if that's the right question to ask. Should I adopt? I think a better question may be, knowing what we just heard, knowing that I was adopted into God's family, knowing that I was a child of wrath, but now I've been redeemed and adopted, and I'm an heir of God, knowing that, why shouldn't I adopt? And there may, indeed, I don't see hearts, there may be a number of legitimate reasons not to adopt or not to foster a child. And if that's the case, There's nine other options on that sheet. Nine other things we can be doing. Jesus Christ is the son of man. He became a man so that we might become sons and daughters of God. Because of that act of love, because of that act of redemption, we can be motivated to care for orphans in their distress, to respond appropriately to that mandate in James 1.27. Not because of an emotional appeal, but because God loves us. Because like the little orphan said in the video, he loved us first. He adopted us into his family. I pray you'll keep that sheet. I pray you'll pray about it this week. Visit the tables in the lobby. Find out more. See how we can become involved in orphan care here at the chapel. Have the opportunity today to, to close our service with communion. And that's just an incredible blessing on a day like today. I think God is stirring in our hearts. Scripture says, When we take communion, we examine our hearts, we confess our sins, we get right with Him. As we do that, we remember what He's done for us. The fact that we take the elements symbolically, they represent Christ's body and blood, which was the reason we can be adopted into God's family. If you're new here, if you're a visitor, we have the elements on tables around. Ryan's going to come. He's going to play some music. He'll have some time to respond. And when you have... Feel free to come and take part. This is the Lord's Supper. It's not Cape Bible Chapel's Supper. So please do that. Let me pray for the bread and the cup. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to open your word today and to hear and learn about your heart for us, your love for us, even as children of wrath. You sent your son to die in our place so that we can become your sons and daughters. God, work in our hearts. Help us to be so open to hearing from you and responding in a way where you get all the glory. Lord, I thank you for this local church. I thank you for the opportunity to take part in Orphan Sunday today. Lord, help it not to just be one day. God, help us to respond as a local church in a way where you get all the glory. We love you. We lift our prayers to you because we know that you answer. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.